There's independent literature that kids born by C-section have more juvenile diabetes. They have more celiac disease. They, they get uh, obesity more. So the question is, will it reduce? Will, if you restore their microbes, will, will you reduce that heightened risk? We don't know yet. Okay, welcome to today's show. I've got a special correspondent doing the interview, one of my close friends, Dr. Herman Garcia Fresco, who is a molecular neurobiologist, and he's going to be introduced, uh, interviewing today's guest, Dr. Blazer. Uh, it's pretty fascinating. I listened to it afterwards, and I think that um, I always say in life, there's three outcomes of everything you do. The first one is it goes as expected. The second is things go worse than expected. And the ideal, the third, is things go way better than expected. And you'll find that in anything, in a job interview, you know, in, in a date you have with somebody, uh, in a business partnership. And in this interview, um, we're expecting to be good. And everybody was like, wow, it was amazing. So have fun listening. Well, I can tell you that in Sweden, where people are about as healthy as we are, maybe more healthy, they're using 40% of the antibiotics we use, 40. So that means that 60% of the antibiotics we're using a priori aren't necessary. Now, when you say 40, 60, it's only for humans, right? Not, I'm just talking not for humans. livestock. I'm just talking okay. prescriptions yeah, per, per capita yeah. in humans at every age. And it's not just in yeah, young yeah, kids. Yeah. At every age, Ever. Swedish doctors are using, I think they're, they're exercising better judgment on average than U.S. doctors. We, we've grown up in a, in a, under an antibiotic umbrella where we think antibiotics are gonna cure, cover everything and cure everything, but we're not paying attention to what it's costing. And I bet you part of it is because in Sweden, they, they don't get sued for everything like Could be. happens that, here. That, certainly that would be part of it. So, getting back to the point, yes. how are we gonna give back, how are we gonna give back those get missing back? microbes? And that's, that's what we do research on. Because we're talking, how many microbes we have? Uh, trillions. Uh, we have trillions, but let's just say that the average person has a few thousand different species. A few thousand different species. Right. So, how many species are out there collectively in humans? Uh, thousands, but your species aren't the same as mine. That's what I mean. Right. Yeah. So by species, you mean different strains or different well, no, species, species altogether? Species bigger than strains. So altogether, different species. Different species. You know, I talk about it in, in Missing Microbes because my wife from Venezuela went into the Amazon mm -hmm. to study the people who are living there who haven't had antibiotics, who haven't had modern... Is she a scientist too? She's a scientist. Okay. Uh, and she, she just went to Rutgers University as the Henry Rutgers Professor of the Microbiome. Oh, cool. So she, she's, so she's and I, I carry her bags. When, <laughs> so uh, when she studies people out in the jungle and compares how many different species they have to us, they have twice as many. Oh. It implies that we have lost half of our diversity. Hers were really the first studies. Others have found the same thing. And so people in Italy, in Japan, in the United States, we have low diversity. People in the jungles, in Africa, in, in Latin America, even though they live continents apart, they have much more diversity. They're more similar to each other. Is it safe to say that we need less diversity in 
the cities than that we they would in the jungle? I, I don't. I don't. That's a good. It's an interesting point. I'm not sure that we need less diversity, but I can tell you that we have less diversity. And my point is that that's where the epidemics are coming from. That's why people are getting. Obese. So you see more epidemics here than you see in the jungle. That's right. More asthma. More. More. Anything. I'm. I'm not saying that we should move back to the jungle. And I'm not yeah, saying we, yeah, should, no, no, we no. should give up antibiotics at yeah. all. We need them, they're vital drugs. We have to use them better and we have to figure out how can we give back the microbes that we've lost. That's really the challenge in these next couple decades. So, so you, we haven't figured out how to get, so the, the main question here which is can we reverse this effect? We still don't know how. We don't, really. actually, Again, uh, I'm I'm plugging my wife because she's she's done great stuff. So she did some of the original work on Mm C-sections, showing that babies born by C-section are different than babies not born by C-section. And so then she did an experiment, a human trial, where she had three groups of of moms and babies, moms with scheduled C-sections, moms who gave birth vaginally normally, and then there was a group of moms who gave birth by C-section, and they had a swab in their vagina, and they swabbed the baby so that they could see, could they replenish some of those organisms? And she she showed in a paper that was published in Nature Medicine, a very high-caliber journal, uh, that she could get at least partial restoration. Oh, that's interesting. Now, how long does it... Last that well, in that study, how long was it? Following? In that study, they only followed it for a month, mm-hmm. but they showed evidence that it's back. She's now doing a study looking out to a year, be inter- and yeah. she has evidence that that some of these organisms are persisting. That it does make a difference. The real question is, will it make a health difference? Mm-hmm. Will those kids? I mean, there's independent literature that kids born by C-section have more juvenile diabetes. They have more celiac disease. They they get uh, obesity more. So the question is, will it reduce? Will if you restore their microbes, will will you reduce that heightened risk? We don't know yet, but mm-hmm. that's that's the kind of study that needs to be done. But that would be awesome. It it seems like it would, based on has the to, preliminary has to, studies. Has to be but- studied. But it's a, that's, that's great. There, there it's some, an there's easy some, solution. There's some backlash among doctors. There's some obstetricians who are very unhappy about this. Why? I, I, it me. <laughs> they say it's not safe, it's not natural, but, you know. Well, it, it's not natural to, to get him on C-section. You can get somebody be, else on your show to yeah, discuss it. But uh, uh, yeah, every no. baby born vaginally, there's risk from the mom's uh, uh, germs. But... This is the way we've been doing it for the last million years or so. I bet you those are doctors that like to do C-sections. Could be. <laughs> wow, that's the, is there any other? So that's one way, which I love the idea, and it seems simple too. It's yeah. just a swabbing a, yeah. a kid after yeah. they're born. Yeah. Um, so, so we're doing a lot of work on juvenile diabetes, mm-hmm. so what's called type 1 diabetes. Yeah. That's an, what's called an autoimmune disease. There's something happens. And yeah. The lymphocytes attack the pancreas and they destroy it, and now the child needs insulin for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And the thing about juvenile diabetes is that it's increasing dramatically. It's doubling every 20 or 25 years. And so something very strong environmentally is going on. And mm. there has been work on antibiotics. We've done work in mice showing that if we give mice antibiotics, we can push them over the edge to get more type 1 diabetes. So we're trying to understand what are... When, we, when the antibiotics affect their microbiome, what are the bad bacteria, what are the good bacteria? And we're hoping to use these kinds of studies to help us identify good bacteria. My dream 
is that one day we will give kids certain bacteria back to prevent juvenile diabetes. Wow. My, my hope is that we're going to understand this soon enough that during my lifetime that you'll see it that yeah. I will see it that you'll we will give this back and it will be a broad preventive just like today we give kids vaccines to help them prevent very serious infection this is the opposite we're going to give them microbes to prevent certain uh, uh, inflammatory diseases like juvenile diabetes hmm. that would be great <laughs> I, I hope so let's talk about there's a, a lot of confusion and it's not confusion but th there's a lot of times where doctors confuse a bacterial infection with a viral infection. And I've seen, I, I, I've had that happen in my family so many times where I go to the doctor and I'm like, I think this is viral and they prescribe an antibiotic. I'm like, I don't, you know, I ignore it or sometimes I don't, but do you see this as a problem too where people are getting confused with the, the effects of a, a viral infection where an antibiotic is going to have zero? Sure. Well, you see, the, the problem is there's a lot of overlap between viral infections and bacterial infections. And the child who's ill doesn't come in with a sign, yeah. you know, I have a viral I have a, infection. Yeah. I have a, so the doctor has to use their judgment. As I said, in Sweden, they're using their judgment and a lot fewer kids are coming out with antibiotics. In the U.S., There's a lot of variation between doctors. Some doctors prescribe antibiotics for every child. Some prescribe it much less. We have to educate the doctors. <laughs> Let me go back a step yes. and tell you that one of the problems about overusing antibiotics is that uh, when we overuse them, we increase antibiotic resistance. Mm -hmm. and they, that the antibiotics won't work as well as they yeah, used then to. You need higher and that's, doses. And that's, right, and that's happening. We, we know that resistance is growing. But when you tell a mother who's got a screaming child, this is going to increase resistance, the mom doesn't care that much. She just cares about the health of her child. Uh, so she'll say, I'll, I'll take the antibiotic. Resistance, that's a problem for, for other kids. But You know, if, if the evidence were such that you said to the mom, you know, you, we could give you an antibiotic, but every time you take the antibiotic, it will increase the chance that your child will get juvenile diabetes, obesity, asthma, you know, by 1% or 2%, then maybe the mom will say, well, you know, let's wait another day. I've And the never, doctor will say. I've never had a doctor say anything remotely yeah. close to that right, before right. prescribing any antibiotic. Right. They Not even they, mentioning they, right. they, they about haven't, resistance. They haven't yet, but that's where the data, that's where the evidence is going. It's going, yeah. Hi, I'm Arusha Pires, host of a new podcast called Investing with IBD. Here are a few snippets from the conversations that we're having. Facebook, you know, it's coming back. I was really treating it as a counter trend kind of stock. You have these really fast moving stocks. You want to have a little bit slower moving stocks yeah, also definitely. in your portfolio. What Bill observed after sitting through many market corrections is that the market will come down, but you need to wait a few days and see if there's going to be continued power. And that's where he came up with the follow through day concept. One of the most interesting things is, you know, utilities have actually been very, very strong over the last 52 weeks. The work that we've done on yield curve inversion suggests that after the yield curve inverts, over the next year, utility performance is actually not that good. Come join the conversation on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
There was a study in Denmark that showed that, uh, that taking antibiotics increased the risk that kids would get inflammatory bowel disease. And they calculated that each course of antibiotics increased the risk by 14%. That's still, it's an uncommon thing. So that, that big increase isn't as dramatic as you may, may think. But the point is they, they can already measure the effect. Now, is there a, a, a wait time you would recommend for somebody to, let's say my child, and this is for people watching, yeah. basically. My child was falling in with a, you can tell he has an ear infection mm-hmm. or how long would you say, let's wait a week, yeah. let's wait four days. What, what would you recommend before going to the doctor that you know that's going to give you an antibiotic? You know, um, it's not such an easy question to answer. But the main, que- the main answer is that's why we have doctors. Mm-hmm. It's not up to the parent yeah, of should decide my child needs an antibiotic. The parent should say my child is sick enough that I need to s- get a doctor's judgment. And so my child's sick enough, I'm going to take him to the doctor. And now the doctor's going to have to decide, is this child sick enough to get an antibiotic or not? It's, it's really not the parent's responsibility. They, they're, they're, they're not doctors. No, they, I they agree. But we, we're also in agreement that... But, so, but if the doctor does a careful exam and says, your child doesn't need an antibiotic, that, that parent should say, great, I'm happy. They're not that sick. Yeah. Rather than say, no, you know, they have to have an antibiotic so they can go back to school or to daycare or yeah. you know, whatever. So, so parents should be happy when they say, right. no, right. I, I, I don't I, want to prescribe I, I, an antibiotic. My goal is for doctors to do more careful exams on patients, especially children. And our system is, is completely backwards. We're, we're trying to get doctors to see patients every five minutes. You yeah. know, it, it, it's just, it's completely backward. It's also a false economy. Doctors need to spend the time. They really need to examine kids. And then they'll say, you know, your, your child isn't that sick. They're going to get better by themselves. And if they don't, you come back and see me again. Yeah, it's, uh, I grew up in, in, in Argentina. And over there, we used to have a family doctor that would come to our house you know, kind of like you see in the movies with his little briefcase. And it was a lot more personal. When I came to America, one of the things that shocked me the most is that the doctor-patient relationship was so cold, you could say. So um, there's no connection. There's no, like, they don't know anything about you other than here's the chart. You know, the nurse comes. She does all the vitals. The doctor comes. Let me see. Open your mouth. Okay, here's your antibiotic. Yeah, so, go so home. right. So the system, and, and uh, it, most, uh, you know, I'm a doctor. Yeah. Most doctors who I know are very well-meaning people. They are trying to do the best for their yeah, patients. Yeah, no, no, I'm not. This, but we have engineered a system that is really going in the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah, it and that's what really I mean. Going, and it's not getting any better. Now, doctors spending half the time at the computer, you know, punching in the information Notes, yeah. rather than talking to the patient, examining the patient. And that's where I was going. If doctors would go back to that... Let's have a conversation with this patient and the family. Yeah, you know, the, and the, educate the, them. This is a societal problem. Mm-hmm. We 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 have created this. And by the way, it's not just in the U.S. in in Europe and South America. It's oh it's yeah, the same Argentina thing. changed too. When yeah. I said I grew up that way, I didn't mean yeah. that yeah. Argentina is better. This kind of stuff's happening all over the world. Where we've become intoxicated with technology, we've fallen in love with it. We think that's the solution, and it's part of the solution. 
but we need more careful exams. And, you know, if you examine kids carefully, you will find that most of them do not need antibiotics. And you'll be able to say, this child definitely needs antibiotics. This child definitely does not. Here are some in the, in the middle. If they don't get better, come back tomorrow. We've been using antibiotics as if they had no cost, yeah, no yeah, biological yeah, yeah. cost. So we'll just say, well, we're not sure, so we'll just throw some antibiotics and, on. And that's what but, I feel But we're happens. learning that there is a cost. Yeah, and that's what I feel. And, and thanks to people like you, which are finding those causes and effects, is what is going to help this change. Because I, I always felt that way. It's like, ah, if anything, take an antibiotic, you know, and... In my, at least in my households, we always try to you know, avoid it as much as we can. In the last couple of years, there have been two very big studies in Europe, one in England and one in Denmark, looking at adults. Each study had more than a million people in the study. Wow. And they asked, they compared people who have diabetes. Now, this is adult-onset diabetes. Yeah. They compared people with diabetes and people who don't have diabetes. And they asked, who, who had more antibiotics recently? And they found that the people who had diabetes had more, even 15 years prior, even 15 years prior. So a body of evidence is coming out that antibiotics are changing metabolism in adults as well. But we don't still, there's no mechanism to show what, how well, is it doing it? People are working on, it's happening through the microbiome. It's happening through changes in the microbiome. We don't understand it yet. And again, this has not filtered down to the average doctor. It hasn't filtered down at all. But I'm, I think that five or 10 years from now, this will become part of the conventional wisdom. People will understand that even in adults, taking an antibiotic uh, confers risk of, added risk of other diseases, diseases that are not anticipated. That's when you do your number two book. <laughs> and tell everybody again. Um, great. Uh, let me see what other questions I have for you. Um, we talked about the antibiotics and food. Uh, the, we talked about the viral, the pre and probiotics. We, we need better diagnostics, we, definitely. We, we need to have a diagnostic that when the, the sick person is in the doctor's office, they can say, this is a viral infection, this is a bacterial infection. We, we pretty much have the technology to do it, but... You know, let's say the test costs $500. Mm-hmm. And the doctor says, well, why should I use a $500 test when I can just treat with a $5 antibiotic? So, the, again, the, the market forces are all... Now, is that the doctor now or the insurance company? It's everybody combined. Everybody it's, combined. It's the system, we don't recognize the cost, to, the real cost to society of all those inappropriate uses of antibiotics. If we costed it out, we would see that a $5 antibiotic course is a false economy. Yeah, because that, that $5 antibiotic probably cost in the lifetime, you know, hundreds and thousands well, yeah, you know, for if, somebody if, that has diabetes. Da- that's or, right. If these data about obesity and asthma are correct, what, what are the lifetime costs of having obesity, of having asthma? And if, if each cost uh, increases the risk yeah, by 1% or 2%. Billions. Yeah. In, in billions. So, so we should, uh, I, I'm on a national commission about this, and, and we have, said we need to develop new diagnostics so that we can give doctors the tools they need so that they can make better decisions. The, the tools are not, will not, never substitute for clinical judgment, but they will help. Yeah. It helps to have good tools, just like it helps to have an x-ray. helps to have good tools. And especially in a fast-paced system like we have today, the more tools you have to disposal, 
the better judgment you're going to make when you make that final. So here is a question from the audience. And the question is, <laughs> here's a question from the audience. This is about shopping when you go to the supermarket. What should somebody look for in order to increase the likelihood of turning back that um, effect on the microbiome change? Yeah, yeah. I know you mentioned lots of fibers. Yeah, yeah. So I think there are two parts to this, two parts to the answer. One is avoid further damage, and the other is see if you can build up the good guys. So avoid further damage. So a lot of uh, foods in the store have preservatives. Mm-hmm. The preservatives were designed to improve shelf life mm-hmm. so that you can keep a box of cereal in, in yeah, the store for a year. Of, yeah. But the question is, what is the preservative doing to our microbiome? The, this was never really studied. Are there stu- there, is there no has, studies? I mean, these are, these are basically all the preservatives are antibacterials. So I, yeah, I try keep- and I tell the people I care about, try to avoid processed foods. So it's almost like an antibiotic. They're, they're antibacterial. Yeah. I mean, all the antibacterial soaps that people yeah. are using, uh, they've sold billions of these antibacterial soaps without any evidence that this really improves health. It can, during flu season, it can decrease transmission of flu, but that's a certain period of time, et cetera. But otherwise, antibacterial soaps, as far as I'm concerned, have no health benefit yeah. and probably some health, health risk. Soaps and other antibacterial lotions. Just about everywhere you go, there's yeah. a bottle of an antibacterial. I know, and you see that in school now. Yeah, in everywhere. School, and it's like so. Yeah, it doesn't people, change anything. Yeah, pe- people have uh, are making a lot of money out of germophobia. So, yeah. so half the answer is avoid the things that are doing further damage, and the good things are, uh, yeah, I, I eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, things that do have those. Microbes from the bur- from uh, uh, fiber that will help us have a healthier gut. Tell people so they get an idea. I, I remember I took microbiology in, in, in college. How fast do these bacterial populations reproduce in millions? Because I, I used to tell people, I'm like, you you wash your hands with an antibacterial, and in not too long of a time, a period of time, you'll have all that back again, so it's kind of pointless. You're just... Well, you know, part of it that people, I think people kind of intuitively get this, but you have to say it specifically, and that is that our body is full of good bacteria, and the good bacteria fight the bad bacteria. Mm -hmm. That's part of why we have them. That's their benefit. So if we're getting rid of the good bacteria, are we doing more harm or more good? So... We don't want to get rid of the good bacteria. Okay. You didn't answer my question, though. How fast, oh, how fast? do these populations... Oh, they come back very fast. <laughs> they, they, I mean, bacteria... Some, some of the bacteria double every 12 minutes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, many bacteria double every 12, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So you do the math, you, you can get to very high numbers in a short time. Yeah. Do you have anything that you would want to add to complete the... Uh, th- this, has be- this has become my passion. The reason I wrote Missing Microbes is to tell regular people tell the world. Ab- about what we have inadvertently been doing. We- we've been trying to maximize health, but we are, we are really opening the door for, for some bad things. And-, and writing Missing Microbes is to try to get people to- and society in general to move in a better direction. 
would be three pieces of advice for the people watching? They would say, at least do these three things and you'll be better off. I know one of them is going to be avoid antibiotics. That'll probably be your number one. Well, when when it could the, be avoided. You know, I would say work with your doctor, work with your healthcare provider, and if the doctor says you don't need antibiotics, you should be happy, not say okay. But how do you know? Yes, I understand. How do you know if I go to the doctor and I say, well, I, I'm trying to avoid an antibiotic, but... Well, the doctor, because, because many times the doctor thinks that you want an antibiotic. That's, that's what I'm saying. They so think th- you've come there so that you'll get an antibiotic, and many people go there so the doctor will give them an antibiotic. And so if, I mean, there, there's this tension, there's this, yeah. there's this drama. And if I just talk to the doctors, that's not going to be enough. It's, if people keep thinking that anti- antibiotics are the panacea... Then they're just going to keep asking, and if you don't give it, then another doctor will give it. So I, I want people to understand that antibiotics have cost, and and when they're necessary, long term cost. Yeah, that's right. When they're necessary, you must use them, but that's a medical decision, and uh, many times they're not necessary. So the advice here would be. Have a conversation with your doctor. Yeah. Don't go there That's saying, right. hey, I'm sick, give me my antibiotic, or yes. expect your yes. antibiotic. Yeah. Talk to him and see. Yes. Let him know that you're okay if you're not going to yeah. take your antibiotic. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is this idea about C-sections. C-sections have biological cost. It's not, not just financial cost, yeah. which is something, but there's biological cost. C-section, you know, the doctor says you have to have a C-section. You could say... Is it, or is it necessary? Are we sure that it's necessary? It's not just convenience or... So that's whatever. a two for one there because you're going to save money because it's cheaper. And two, you're benefiting your baby, yeah. basically. You know, countries like, you know, again, Sweden, their, their C-section rate's 14%. Ours is 32%. And you said the highest was in Brazil, about 80%. That's in, in Rio. In, some, in, Rio. Some, in Rome also, it's about 80%. Rome. Some urban populations... It's like an epidemic of C-sections. Huh. It's amazing. Is it economical or is it it's because it's, 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 it's easier? It's a combination of factors. People think it's less pain. It's easier. The doctors like it because it's scheduled. The hospitals like it because it's scheduled. It's, mm. it's better reimbursed. Uh, so there, there are a lot of things that have kind of pushed us in that direction. Nobody was thinking, are there health consequences? But on the other hand, you can say, well, if we've been doing something you know, for a million years and now we change it, What's the chance that, that it's all going to be fine? Sometimes C-sections are life-saving. There's no question about it. It's like many things. We're just, we take something that's good and we overdo it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we see that a lot. Hi, I'm Arusha Pires, host of a new podcast called Investing with IBD. Here are a few snippets from the conversations that we're having. Ah, Facebook, you know, it's coming back. I was really treating it as a counter trend kind of stock. You have these really fast moving stocks. You want to have a little bit slower moving stocks also in your portfolio. What Bill observed after sitting through many market corrections is that the market will come down, but you need to wait a few days and see if there's going to be continued power. And that's where he came up with the follow-through day concept. 
One of the most interesting things is, you know, utilities have actually been very, very strong over the last 52 weeks. The work that we've done on yield curve inversion suggests that after the yield curve inverts, over the next year, utility performance is actually not that good. Come join the conversation on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.